more on the meaning of Christmas as we're going to turn here this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Luke and chapter number 2. I want to preach to you today a message entitled, Waiting for Christmas. You can find your spot in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. I heard a story about a couple of brothers who uh, went to spend the night with their grandparents a few days before Christmas. And you know how kids are. These boys were so excited about the thought of presents under the tree, they could barely think of anything else. And so along the way, they dropped some not-so-subtle clues about uh, what they wanted for Christmas every chance they got. So as the boys were going to bed, they knelt beside the bed to pray. The older brother prayed Psalm 23 perfectly, just like he had learned in Sunday school. But the younger brother was more bold in his request. He wanted to make sure that his prayer would get to the desired audience. So the lad started praying at the top of his lungs very loudly. Dear Lord, we thank you for Christmas time. Uh, we thank you for Mama and Papa. We uh, thank you for baby Jesus being born. And he got louder and more boisterous. And then he got to his request. And Lord, it sure would be good to get a new bicycle for Christmas. And as he prayed, he just got louder and more obnoxious. Prayer went on for several minutes until Grandma heard the commotion and she came in and she said, Son, I can hear your prayer from downstairs. You don't have to pray so loud. Don't you know God's not deaf? The little boy opened his eyes looked up at Grandma and he said, Yeah, but Grandpa is. <laughs> the Christmas story as told by Luke introduces to us an eccentric uh, grandpa-like character that is named Simeon. But unlike that old man in the joke, Simeon had an ear to hear what the Lord was saying to him. Now honestly, we don't know very much about the man Simeon. All that we can collect about his life is what's recorded here in these few verses of Luke chapter 2. We assume that he is an old man, but the Bible never really gives us his age According to the church tradition, he was 113 years old by the time the events of Luke 2 transpired. But again, that's just church tradition. Simeon appears briefly on the pages of Scripture, and he's really kind of a minor character in the birth narrative. After his part is over and his lines are said, he fades from the scene and he's never to be heard from again. But when he does speak, he speaks like a sage with wisdom. Some of his words are mysterious, and he spoke very profoundly in a way that I'm sure Joseph and Mary never forgot. But we're talking about today not only Simeon, but also the idea of waiting for Christmas. One reason why Christmas is filled with such expectation is because we wait for it every year. That's why we have the expression, you're just being slow as Christmas. And if you're a kid, 
Oh my goodness, the wait can be agonizing. I don't know about you, but I hardly ever slept through Christmas Eve as a kid. The anticipation, the excitement was just way too much. And then it gets here, and in a flurry of activity, and in a rain cloud of paper and bows and everything, ribbons, it's all over in a matter of moments. Well, if there's one characteristic that Simeon is known for in our Scriptures, it's waiting. In fact, in Luke 2 and verse 25, it says he was waiting on the consolation of Israel or the Messiah. So in this message today, we're going to look at this little episode that happens at the temple between Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, and this man named Simeon, this strange encounter, this prophetic encounter, this providential encounter, and what it teaches us about Christmas. There's three lessons here that we can gather from the life of Simeon and his example. First off, I want you to see, number one, we must wait on the promises of God. We must wait on the promises of God. Let's read together starting in verse 22. The Bible says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens his womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons... Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. The first thing that we learn here in this amazing encounter is waiting on the promises of God. Now let's back up and get a little understanding of our context here. According to the Mosaic law, Mary and Joseph's trip to the temple occurred well after Jesus' birth. In fact, Jesus was 40 days old at this point. And according to Leviticus chapter 12, it explained that when a Jewish baby was born, the parents were to offer a sacrifice according to their financial ability. In other words, the more means the family had, they were expected to offer a corresponding gift 
of greater value. And we read here in our text that when Mary and Joseph come to uh, bring Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, they can only offer two turtle doves or two pigeons according to the humblest sacrifice that could be made. Now, this offering, by the way, points to two important things that we need to notice. Number one, that Jesus was born into poverty. He was not born into royalty or with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born to identify with the least and the lowest. 2 Corinthians 8 says that uh, he uh, left those riches. He who was rich became poor so that for our sakes, we who are poor may become rich in the things of God. Then number two, we see that Jesus was born under the law and he fulfilled every aspect of the law right down to the minutest detail so that when he was offered uh, on the cross as the Lamb of God, he could truly be certified as the perfect, all-sufficient Savior. There's no part of God's law in the life of Christ that was left undone. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, Question, have you been adopted into God's forever family today? You can be. You can be added into the role that's up yonder. You can know Christ as your Savior and God as your Heavenly Father if you come to Him today. But Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus came into the temple. Notice that they are greeted by Simeon. Simeon, who we read of, verse 25, had been waiting for this day, presumably for a while. He'd been given a promise by the Lord. The Bible says the Holy Spirit informed him that before he died, God gave him a promise. You will behold the consolation of Israel. And by the way, that term, consolation of Israel, just one of the many titles of Jesus pointing to his role as Messiah. Promised one. Anointed one. We don't know how long Simeon waited for this moment. But I can assure you that his whole life was defined by this moment and by this meeting. He was literally waiting for Christmas. He was waiting on the promise of God to become a reality in his life. Just think of the confidence that this promise would have gave Simeon, when he entered into a time of trial or tribulation or sickness or hardship, he had this promise of God and he knew that no matter what he faced in his life, that no matter how bad it got, he wasn't going to be his time to go until he laid eyes on the Messiah. You think about that would give a man confidence, wouldn't it? He knew nothing could take him out of this world until God's promise was fulfilled in his life. Now think about that. The power of a promise. The power of a promise can define your purpose and it can change your entire life. By the way, as we talk about the promises of God, do you know the Bible is packed with so many prom- 
promises of God that it can be hard to count them all. But one man did this. A school teacher. His name was Everett Storms of Ontario, Canada. He read through the Bible 27 times and he counted every time the promises of God made to various individuals or to the nations. And he came up with a final tally. Note this, 7,487 promises of God that he makes in the Bible. And he published them all in a book. I believe it's out of print now, but it's all the promises of the Bible. So friend, as you study the life of Simeon and you see him waiting on the promise of God, you understand that God is not only a great promise maker, but friend, He's a great promise keeper. And that gets me excited when I think about the Word of God and the will of God in my life because uh, there's promises of God I'm waiting for Him to fulfill in my life. And if he, did, if he did it for old man Simeon, then He can do it for Derek McCarson. Or He can do it for you. Simeon's challenge to us today is to latch on to the promises of God and to not let go of the promises of God until you see them with your very own eyes. Think about this. God kept all of His prophetic promises down through the ages, made through the prophets like Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah and Daniel and so on. The Bible gives every single detail of Jesus first coming, before He ever arrived, you could know the Messiah's place and His pedigree and His period and the power in which He would live His life. And, and God kept all of those promises and He kept this one to a little old obscure man that nobody knew about except God. And that gives me hope. That gives me help today because I realize that God not only knows the big picture, the big prophetic plan from one age of eternity into eternity future, Brother Clifford. But he knows about the little promises that he's made to me and that he's appointed into my life. And just as he did it for Simeon, he'll do it for you and for me. You see, that gives me confidence today in the Word of God, in the faithfulness of God, that I know that when I open this book and when I talk about its eternal promises, uh, this is ironclad stuff. This ain't hope so. This ain't put an ellipsis and wonder why. This is the sure promises of God of which are settled in heaven and which have never been broken and which God never runs out of resources to meet those promises. Oh my God, thank you for your promises in your word. But there's something about waiting. When you're like Simeon, and you're waiting on the promises of God, that's also the problem. Because, friend, we're all waiting on God to do something in our lives, aren't we? And if we're not careful, we can spend a lot of our life waiting and wishing it away. But some of us are waiting for God to do something in our lives that only He can do. Some of our young people are waiting on a spouse. I was there, and brother, I can tell you, I thought that she would never come. But when I stopped looking, that's the day God brought her into my life. Isn't that interesting how when you step aside and you let God, God can do? 
He brings all the situations and circumstances together. Uh, Some of us are waiting on a miracle today. Oh, you've asked God time and time again to do this thing in your life and it's too big for you and you feel like your back's up against the Red Sea like the children of Israel and all you can do is stand back and wait on the salvation of God. You're waiting on a miracle. Some of you today are like Simeon. You're waiting, but you're waiting on that prodigal son or daughter to come home. I know because you've told me with tear-filled eyes, please pray for my son. Please pray for my daughter. I don't know what to say to them anymore. I don't know how to reach them anymore. I didn't raise them to live this way, but I'm waiting on God to speak to their wayward heart. Am I preaching to anybody today? Some of you... Some of you are waiting on a job. You're waiting on circumstances and events and things to line up in your life and and you feel stuck and you can't get out of it and you need more money and you think, God, do you see me down here struggling? You're asking God, God, can you open a door? God, can you make a way? Lord, I'm drowning down here. I'm waiting on you, Lord. But some of us need to realize today if we're waiting that there's that promise there's that problem oh but there's that power there's that power that comes with the promise you say what are you talking about preacher what kind of power well when I'm waiting I feel quite powerless because think about Simeon God gave him this promise and there was nothing he could do to speed up the clock or to make events come together so that this promise could be fulfilled in his life. And we get into that same rut too when we're waiting on God. Oftentimes we feel as if our hands are tied and the clock is spinning and we're not getting anywhere and we wonder, God, have you abandoned me? God, have you forgotten about me? Lord, what about that promise that you made me underline or that I underlined in my Bible and I've cried over it and I've prayed over it and God, there's no answer to it. You know what you want to do? You want to try and help God. You want to try and speed things up and help God fulfill the promise. You ever been there before? Listen to what Jim Cimbala said in his book, Fresh Faith. He wrote these words, he said, quote, The hardest part of faith is often simply to wait. He said, and the trouble is if we don't, then we start to fix the problem ourselves. And that makes it worse. We complicate the situation to the point where it takes God longer to fix, fix it than if we had quietly waited for His working in the first place. God ever had to clean up the mess that you made because you didn't wait on the promise? That was Abraham's promise. Abraham's problem along with Sarah in the Old Testament. But I was reading a story. Actually, it was a movie I, I saw a few years ago. There's a movie that I think illustrates waiting patiently. The movie was called Hachi, A Dog's Tale. It's about a college professor who befriended a stray Akita puppy. This is based on a true story. This is the actual dog, Hachi. The dog was so loyal to his master 
that every day he walked his master to the train station where he got on a train and went to his school. And then he knew the time somehow that the train would come back and bring the master and the dog would be there waiting on his master to get off the train. That's why dogs are man's best friends. And sometimes cats, I know we got a lot of cat lovers in here. I won't go there, but you know what I wanted to say. I should be able to say something because I live with four of them. And I, ne- I said, I'd never have a cat. Well, one day this professor, he had a fatal stroke. He died while he was away. And the story goes that Hachi, this dog, went to the train station every day for 10 years until the dog died, waiting for his master to get off the train. If only we were that patient. If only we were that loyal to our God who's never disappointed us who's never overstepped and made a promise he couldn't keep, who who never made a promise and went back on it. And yet when I think about Simeon waiting there for Christmas, some of us get impatient waiting in the grocery line. We got first world problems. We get impatient because the Wi-Fi is too slow and it's taking too long for my cat video to load. But here's something I've learned from the Lord about waiting. Just because you're waiting on God doesn't mean it's wasted. Remember I told you there's power in the promise? You may feel powerless waiting on God to move, but in the process of waiting, God is wanting to do something in your heart and in your spirit, and the only way that He can make it happen is He's got to put you in a position where you're not in control. That's called faith. And in the meantime, what God is doing in the waiting period is something that we preachers like to call sanctification. That's making you less like yourself and more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. You say, preacher, what's God doing in the waiting season? I thought you'd never ask. He's shaping you. He's molding you. He's putting patience in your heart. He's enriching your faith. He's giving you hope. He's giving you perseverance not to give up. And the Lord, you see, He's not just interested in the promise. He's also interested in the person that you are becoming as you wait on the promise to be fulfilled in your life. You see, waiting means hoping. Waiting means trusting. Waiting means watching for the promise of God. And while we wait, it gives excitement to our hearts. And sometimes I get just excited thinking about it. Lord, you gave me this promise, and I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm believing, I'm trusting, I'm watching. And Lord, I want to see how you're going to make good on this promise. And it brings excitement to your heart. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it. But oh, I want to be there when it happens. So I can be the first one to give you praise. Amen? Number one, we wait on the promises of God. Number two, I want you to see 
From Simeon we learn that we must walk in the Spirit of God. We must walk in the Spirit of God. Go back with me and look at verse 25, 26, and 27, if you will. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, one, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, two, and then look at verse 26, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came in the Spirit, three, into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Three times our Bible tells us that what made Simeon odd, what made Simeon unique, what made Simeon a character in the birth narrative was that this man, before Pentecost, mind you, was directed and led by the Spirit of God. You see, notice this, friend. The reason why Simeon was at the temple and the reason why he had the ability to recognize the Christ child out of the crowd that day was because he had his frequency tuned, if you will, to the Holy Spirit. Think how providential the direction of the Spirit had to be in all this event. You see, Simeon not only had to be at the temple at the right place, at the right time, on the day that Mary and Joseph would be strolling up the steps, but he'd never seen Jesus before. He didn't have a completed Bible to refer to. There was no internet for him to Google it and look it up. Jesus of Nazareth, who am I looking for? I mean, it's not like he's standing out there on the front steps of the temple with a sandwich sign on saying, Messiah, come see me. Right? He's at the right place at the right time at the moment. Mary and Joseph are coming on the very day that they're supposed to be there. And out of the sea of people who are busy about the temple, he's able to identify the Son of God. How? He's led by the Spirit of God. You talk about a divine appointment. You say, preacher, explain it. I don't think I can. <laughs> That's beyond my pay grade. That's the mystery and the working of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it was just like in 1 Samuel 16 when God tells Samuel, hey, go to Bethlehem and anoint the next king. Remember that? And Jesse lines up all of his sons and he goes down the line. Nope, that's not the one. He's a reject. He's too prideful. Don't use him. And then, it, and then the Spirit speaks to him and says, but isn't there one more? The same way that the Spirit directed Samuel to David. It's the same Holy Spirit that's directing Simeon to the Christ child. What an amazing passage. You see, the second challenge of Simeon today is not only that we learn how to wait on the promises of God, but is to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. To give more of ourselves over to the leading and the direction and the filling of the Holy Spirit so that He has more control and we are following more after His lead than our own. And it's exciting when you think about the way in which the Holy Spirit might direct your steps. You've got a plan. You've got an agenda. 
you've got a schedule for a, a day and you try your best to plan it out. But you know God not only rules, but He overrules. And you ever been going about the routine of your day and God sends you on a detour? Or the Spirit speaks to you in an unmistakable way and He says, talk to this person. Stop what you're doing and minister to them. Say these words to this person. I'm telling you, I'm not talking about something mystical or super spiritual. I'm just talking about the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit that every believer gets if you're willing to listen and obey. You see, friend, when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, not only are you listening to His promptings, but you are willing to have your schedule disrupted so that God may lead you to a blessing and maybe even fulfilling that promise in a way that you never would have predicted. It blessed me so much last night to hear the testimonies. Wasn't that great at the Christmas dinner to hear all the ways in which God was working in people's lives through various and sundry things? We don't often take time to testify. We should probably do more of it just to hear what God's doing in people's lives because it's encouraging because somebody, I guarantee you, is going through the same thing or is entering the valley that you've already come through and they need the encouragement that you have to offer. And that's why church is so important, why we need to be in the house of God because there's encouragement in the people of God. But it so blessed me last night when I was listening to the, to the testimonies and there was a common theme through all of it. God led me to this job. God led me through this valley. God led me through this hard time. And, and God answered my prayer. And you know another one that I heard a lot of? God led me to this church. Praise God for that. Yeah. And isn't it amazing the pathways that the Holy Spirit would choose for us? We wouldn't choose those for ourselves. We want to get out of the wilderness as fast as we can, but a lot of times the Holy Spirit sends us on the circuitous route, the scenic route, if you will, to get us where we need to be. Simeon was in tune with all that. And God sent him to the temple at the right time put him in the right place to see the promise fulfilled in his life. I was talking to a lady earlier on who joined the church this year. And her testimony so blessed me. But she said, I said, how did you hear about this place? How did you get here? She said, we just came on a whim. We came cold turkey. Boy, that's faith, isn't it? You step into a church you don't know nothing about. Preacher could be half crazy. <laughs> this lady's testimony, she said, we just came in this church. We didn't know anything about it. But she said, the, the first time I came, she said, you preached. And it was like the message was for me. She said, what you, what you said in your message was directed from the Holy Spirit right to the need in my life. And she said, I thought, well, you know, anybody can be lucky one time. She said, I came back the second time, and you preached again. 
And it was like, you've been reading my mail. How did he know this is what I was dealing with? And I, I said, that's the Spirit of God. That's how the Spirit of God, just like in Simeon's life, leads us to the place that we need to be so that we can hear the Word in such a way that it rings true with our heart. And we know the preacher didn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, he, he studied and he prayed. But it's the Holy Spirit that brings all these individual threads together in a way that we never could. And, and when God has you in the sweet spot, in the place where you're meant to be, and God's Word comes to you, it, it's home. You know it. You don't, it's like Brother Stacy said last night in his testimony, how hard do you want me to hit you over the head, God says. Amen? Walk in the Spirit of God. I often talk about the Operation Christmas Child Ministry, and we did such a great ministry with that this year. But I read this story from Operation Christmas Child website about how God works behind the scenes. Listen to this. A young girl named Dania received one of these shoeboxes when she was nine years old. Dania grew up in a Middle Eastern country where 97% of the populations were Muslim. Unreachable, right? A place where no missionary could get to. She got a box. See, they may not let a missionary in, but they'll let a little shoebox in. While there may have been few churches in Dania's country, no gospel preaching and very little Christian music, however, they have radio over there. Dania's family was dirt poor and she remembered often going to bed with nothing to eat. One thing her family always wanted and never had was a radio. When Dania opened her shoebox, she was amazed to find a tiny battery-powered radio. Now, I don't know who God directed to put a little battery-powered radio in a shoebox, but God tapped somebody on the shoulder and said, put that in there. This is how big God is, right? She said, when I opened my box, I was speechless. Everything in the box was brand new. And this, she said, was the first time in my life I had ever received a gift of any kind. She said, out of a million shoeboxes, this one came into my family. And the radio changed everything. You see, they were able to turn the radio and get a frequency where they were broadcasting preaching and Christian music on a radio station. And she said, by listening to the Christian radio, I heard the gospel. I repented of my sin. I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. And my parents became Christians as well. They faced tremendous persecution for their conversion to Christianity. But in 2010, they came to the U.S. as refugees. And today, she's a U.S. citizen the legal way and works with Samaritan's purse. Only God, only the Spirit of God, one little box, one little radio to one little family. Just like one little family coming up the steps of the temple and old Simeon there waiting for him. We must walk in the Spirit of God. Then thirdly, and I finish with this today, we must worship the Son of God. 
Wait on the promises of God. Walk in the Spirit of God. Worship the Son of God. You know that in the Gospel of Luke, there are four Christmas songs, if you will. There is Mary's Magnificat, which is in chapter 1. There is Zechariah's song in also chapter 1. There's the angel's song to the shepherds in chapter 2. And then in this passage, there is Simeon's song. Now, when Simeon, the Bible says, held up the Christ child in his hands, we read that the old man broke out in spontaneous worship. I love that. And the song that he sings in this passage is amazing. It's part psalm and it's part prophecy. And what's interesting, as you read this and you think about it, most people love babies, right? They're cute, they're cuddly. When people come across a baby, they, you know, the voice instantly changes. Right? We pinch their cheeks. We... We love babies, but we don't ever worship a baby. Right? That would be weird. That would be bizarre. It would be out of place. And yet the Bible says that when he took Jesus up in his arms, not only did he love the child, but he worshipped the child. Why? Because he understood this was no ordinary child. This was deity in diapers. This was Emmanuel, God with us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he sings this song and in it is contained so much about the life of Jesus. And I want you to see this in Simeon's song. It's filled with so much rich theology about the identity of the Christ child that when you understand it, the only response that you can have is praise the Lord. What do we see here? Well, verse 29 and 30, that he would be a delivering Savior. Now, Lord, you are letting your servant, watch this, depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes, what church, has seen your salvation. Simeon says, I'm ready to go. Lord, you can take me today because I have beheld the one that you have prophesied about. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lamb of God. He's Emmanuel. And He's here to deliver me from my sin. You see, notice this. Simeon would not live to see Jesus' miracles. He probably wouldn't live to hear His powerful sermons and certainly not witness His death nor His resurrection. And yet by faith, He holds the Christ child and says, Salvation has arrived. Praise God. He would be a delivering Savior. By faith, he looked ahead. And by faith, we look back. You see, we too have to receive the Christ child, not just as the baby in a manger, not just as a historical figure, not just as a good moral teacher, but you have to receive him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of glory who came down in this wretched refuse of a world and took your sin to a bloody cross. You see, and when you have peace with God, then you can have the peace of God. Simeon said, it's okay, Lord. You fulfilled your promise. I can die now a happy man because I've seen the sin bear. You ever thought about the difference between 
lost folk and saved folk when it comes down to the moment of death. Friend, I've been there. I've been at the bedside with saved people and we've sang songs and it's been sweet. And you can feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's a home going. And I've been to the bedside where there was no hope. There was only tears and darkness and fear and uncertainty. Oh, the difference that he makes. Simeon said, I'm ready to die now. I've seen him. The Lord, the Savior. Listen to this contrast. H.G. Wells versus Billy Graham. H.G. Wells was the atheist, the sci-fi author. Here's what he said on his deathbed. Here I am at age 64 still searching for peace of mind. It is a hopeless dream. I commit my soul into the great perhaps. My God, why would you play Russian roulette with your soul? All because of human pride. I won't bow my knee. I won't let God be my God. And then Billy Graham. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. He said, I will have gone into the presence of God. Friend, that's the difference the Savior makes. And He changes your eternal trajectory and your zip code from 28715 to 777 Glory Way. Amen. Some of you today, you don't have that peace because you've never given your life to the Lord. But you can have that peace today. A delivering Savior. But then notice that He would also be a dispelling light. Verse 31 and 32, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's you and me, the Gentile nations. And for your glory to your people Israel. Not only would Jesus be the Jewish Messiah, fulfilling Jewish prophecy, written by Jewish men of God, but the Bible says here that He would be a light to the world, a light even to the pagan Gentiles. He's true. He's God. He's Savior for all people in all times, in all places. Jesus would be the light to illuminate the hearts of people from every kingdom, every tribe, every tongue. He leads us by His light out of empty, godless religion, out of pagan superstition, out of self-destructive addiction and sin. I once was blind, but now I see because He came by and touched me with His power and He gave me eyes to see the scales have fallen off and I'm no longer groping in the darkness. I have a Savior I have redemption. I have joy everlasting. Friend, you can't find that in a store. You can't unwrap it from a tree, but you can get it free from our God and Savior. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. A delivering Savior and a dispelling light. A.W. Tozer said these words, The coming of Jesus into this world represents a truth more profound than any philosophy I ever heard. Of all the great thinkers of the world together, 
could never have produced anything even remotely approaching the wonder and profundity disclosed in the message of these words. He came. Oh, praise God today. He came. These words, he said, are wiser than all learning, more beautiful than all art, more eloquent than all oratory, more lyric and moving than all music because they tell us that of all mankind sitting in the darkness, we have been visited by the light of the world. Remember who you were and where you were. And you were in that dark pit. You were in that dark room. And nobody could get to you but Jesus. And He broke you out of that prison. He got you out of that pit. And He gave you eyes to see. Thank God. He's a dispelling light and a delivering Savior. But verse 34, He's a dividing line too. Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In other words, what Simeon is saying here is this child will divide humanity. You know there's only two classes of people in the world from God's perspective. It ain't Baptists and Methodists. It ain't Democrats and Republicans. It ain't black and white. You know how God sees humanity? Saved and lost. Those who've been to the cross and those who've rejected the Savior. Saved and lost, you're either going to receive Christ and have everlasting heaven or you'll reject Him and get eternal hell. You see, friend, if you've walked with Jesus long enough, you know that He's a dividing line. He divides families. He divides marriages. Some of you are here and your spouse isn't here. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. He divides classrooms and He divides us from friends. Some of you have had friends leave you and forsake you because of your stance for Jesus Christ. He won't let you down. He divides. He'll either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. And what you do with Jesus depends upon what He does with you. You can crown Him or you can crucify Him. He'll be your Savior or your judge. You make the choice. But one thing is for certain, He cannot be ignored. He's the dividing line and the delivering Savior and the dispelling light. And then notice this, verse 35, a distressing sword. Verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own souls also, so that also the thoughts and many hearts may be revealed. He's talking to Mary here. Simeon's last prophecy points to the unique pain that Mary would feel as she witnessed the death and the rejection of her son. That sword that's going to pierce her heart. Fast forward to John chapter 19. She's there at the foot of the cross on Golgotha, she's there watching her son bleed out, watching them spit upon him, watch them mock him. And Jesus looks down from the cross and says to John, John, take care of my mama. And her heart was pierced. Only a mother could understand that. But this verse here tells us this child was born to die. And the cross loomed over his cradle. There's a painting that I want you to see. 
it depicts Jesus as a small boy. He's in Joseph's carpenter shop. Notice Joseph is in the background working at his bench. There you have a toddler-sized Jesus in the center of the picture. And notice he's kind of facing the window there. The sun is, is streaming through that window and it shines down on Jesus in such a way that look at the shadow that's cast down on the ground. It's a cross. And look at what Jesus has in His hand. A nail. The ones that would be driven through His hands and feet 30-some years later when He was crucified for you and me. Simeon said, Mom, I hate to break it to you. This son is going to bring the greatest joy possible into your life. But one day through the plan of God that you don't understand, he's going to rip your heart out. Why? Because Mary, you need a Savior too. In the end, Simeon was a man who lived on tiptoes. Simeon was wide-eyed and he was waiting for the promises of God. And all of his promises were pointing to the first coming. We're a lot like Simeon today too, aren't we? Because when Jesus came the first time, there were signs and wonders. God sent birth pains, if you will, not just to Mary, but to the whole world, announcing that something big was about to happen. And just so we can look upon our world today and we can see the signs of the second coming are lining up like never before. Things are happening in the world right now that's never happened in the history of humanity and it's all coming together and I've read my Bible and I think it's pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. He came the first time and He fulfilled every jot and tittle and promise of Scripture and that's how I know He's coming again, friend. And He won't come the same way He did the first time. He won't be coming like a baby in a manger. Oh, friend, He'll be coming on a white war stallion He'll be coming with a crown. He'll be wearing a robe dipped with blood. And friend, there won't be any mercy and goodwill and peace toward men at that time. There'll only be bow and worship because He's coming for judgment. The question is not what is this world coming to. The question is who is coming to this world. And He's coming back, friend. And like old Simeon, that gives me hope today because I'm waiting on Christ. I'm waiting on God to fulfill these promises. In the meantime, I'm listening to the Spirit of God. God, what do you want me to do today? Because today's all I've got. God, how can I worship you more today than I did yesterday? And friend, if I'm waiting on a promise of God, and I'm walking in the Spirit of God, and I'm taking every day to worship God, I don't have to wait for December 25th to have Christmas. I can have Christmas every day of my life. Because I know Him and He knows me. I won't finish with a story today that Dr. James Dobson read on his radio program. It was sent to him from a woman who learned a very powerful lesson about Christmas. And I think it perfectly dovetails with the story of Simeon and taking up baby Jesus in his arms. Listen carefully. We were the only family with children in the restaurant. I sat Eric in a high chair and noticed everyone was quietly sitting and talking. 
Suddenly, Eric squeaked with glee and said, Hi. He pounded his fat baby hands on the high chair tray. His eyes were lit up in laughter, and his mouth gave a toothless grin. He wiggled and giggled with merry delight. I looked around and saw the source of the baby's happiness. It was a man whose pants were baggy. The zipper was at half-mast. His toes poked out of what would be his shoes. His shirt was dirty. His hair was uncombed and unwashed. His whiskers were too short to be a beard. And his nose was so varicose that it looked like a road map. We were too far from him to smell, but I'm sure that was what was smelling up the restaurant. His hands waved and flapped loose on his wrists. Hey there, baby. Hey, big boy. Aren't you cute? The man said to baby Eric. My husband and I exchanged looks. What did we do? Everyone in the restaurant had noticed and looked at us and, and the man and, and the scene they were creating. The old geezer was becoming a nuisance to our beautiful baby. Our meal came. The man began shouting again. Do you want to play patty cake? Do you know how to play peekaboo? Nobody thought the old man was cute anymore. He was obviously drunk, or at least I thought. My husband and I were embarrassed. We ate in silence, all except for Eric, who continued to interact for the old man who had somehow gum off skid row. We finally got through the meal and headed for the door. My husband went to pay the bill and told me to meet him in the parking lot. The old man sat poised between me and the door and I muttered under my breath, Lord, just let me get out of here so that I don't have to speak to this old man. As I drew closer to the man, I turned my back to sidestep him to avoid him breathing on my child. As I did, my baby Eric leaned over my arm and reaching with a baby's come here position I couldn't stop him. Eric had propelled himself from my arms into the dirty arms of this old man. Suddenly, a very old, smelly man and a very young baby shared their love and kinship. Eric, in an act of total trust and love and submission, laid his tiny head on the man's ragged shoulder. The man's eyes closed. And I could see tears welling in the sides of his eyes. His aged hands spoke a story that they were filled with grime and pain and hard labor. And he cradled my baby's bottom and stroked his back. No two beings have ever loved so deeply for so short a time. I stood awestruck. The old man rocked and cradled Eric in his arms and his eyes opened squarely upon mine. And the old man said in a trembling voice, You take care of this baby. I managed, I will, from a throat that contained a stone. Eric, we pried him from his chest. I received my baby and the man said back to me, God bless you, ma'am. You have given me my Christmas present. I said nothing more as I muttered, Thank you. And I ran for the car. When I got in the car, 
my husband was wondering why I was crying, and I said, my God, my God, forgive me. She finished by saying, I had just witnessed Christ's love shown through the innocence of a tiny child who saw no sin, made no judgment, a child who saw a soul, and a mother who only saw a suit of clothes. I was a Christian, yet I was blind holding a child who was not. I felt God asking, are you willing to share your son for just a moment? For I shared my son 2,000 years ago when I placed my only son in the hands of humanity. Thank God for Christmas. Do you know Him today? Our musicians are coming. And as we're preparing for this time of invitation, maybe you need to respond today. Maybe God's spoken to you and you realize, I need Christ. Maybe you you need to join the church today. Or maybe you need to be baptized or you need to rededicate. I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you today. But you listen to what God is saying through the Holy Spirit right now as we stand. Elise is going to sing a song for us. You may not know it. But you just listen to the words and you let God move you. Let Him move you out of that pew and down here to this altar. I'd love to meet with you and pray for you. Follow the star to a place unexpected. Would you believe after all we've projected? A child in a manger. Lord, we thank you for Lee. Lowly and small, the weakest of all, unlikeliest hero, wrapped in his mother's shawl, just a child. This is who we've waited for. Cause how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? It's a good thing. And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Bringing out gifts for the newborn Savior, all that we have, whether costly or meek, because we believe. Gold for his honor and frankincense for his pleasure and myrrh for the cross he'll suffer. Do you believe? Is this who we've waited for? How many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me. Oh.
got some good news to share with you today. Thank you, Elise. That was beautiful. We've had some movement again, and God's been up to something great. <laughs> I want to give you some good news so that you can leave here today rejoicing. Come on up here, Brother Don. Many of you know my friend Don. I told him he wouldn't have to say anything when he came up here, but I think the tears say it all. <laughs> it's a good man right here. Yeah. And uh, he's my friend, and I'm proud to call him my friend. Amen. And uh, he's been coming to the church for a while now. And he stopped me last night after we had our invitation. He said, I need to join the church today. <laughs> so that's why he's coming forward. <laughs> Amen. And uh, God's done a real work in his life, and he told me something beautiful. I will share this with everybody. He said, you know, that hour and a half that we're over there in church on Sunday morning, he said, that's the most peaceful time of my week right there. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So, Brother Don is coming forward to join the church today. Hallelujah. How many of you rejoice in that? Amen. Amen, amen. Go seat right there. Lee, come on up here. This is Lee Clark. She's also coming forward today uh, to join the church. And, uh, yeah, Amen. She, uh, she has been visiting since, I want to say, the Fall Festival, right? Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, they're coming by profession of faith. She's coming by profession of faith. And uh, she wants to joke up with us here and yeah. feels like the Lord has led her. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then we'll have Darren come up. This is Darren Roach. And uh, he's also been visiting with us for a couple of months now, and he feels like Liberty is the home that he needs, and he wants to come and join here. And uh, he's excited about that the Lord has led him here, so we rejoice in that too. Thank you, brother. You can have a seat right here. Miss Donna, come on down here. Now, everybody knows Miss Donna. What a sweetheart. Uh, Donna responded to the message last night after uh, we had the presentation, and she came forward and she said... uh, I want to be better for the Lord. Yeah. She knows she's saved, and she knows uh, the day that she gave her life to Christ, but she said, I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better Christian, mm-hmm. better friend, better daughter, 
And so she rededicated her life last night. Amen. And is coming forward to make that announcement today. And she said that as evidence of her rededication, she wants to be, be baptized. Awesome. Amen. Amen. So we'll put her on the docket for 2023. Yep. Come on up here, Mr. Christopher. Wild man. Otherwise known as man bun. There's a story behind it. We love this kid. God has brought him a long way. Thanks to Adam and Carrie having their home open. But if you knew this boy's story, where he come from and where he is now, miracles. He responded to the message last night. And he came and talked with me. He says he's trusting in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Amen. And he also wants to be baptized as well. And uh, that's Christmas miracle right there. Amen. I asked him about it, if he understood the gospel, if he'd ever asked Christ to be his Savior. He said he believed it and he knew it, but he wanted to make it, make it public. Amen. So that's what we're doing here today with our brother, little brother in Christ, Christopher. We still, we still get to give him a hard time, though. Amen. So we got one rededication with baptism, one salvation and a baptism, and three joining. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. And if you want to come down and wring his neck, I mean, uh, hug his neck. You can. Lord, we thank you for this day. For what you've done in this place in 2022, Lord, all we can do is stand back in awe and say, what a good God. We thank you for the joy of Christmas and this message, Lord, that came through Luke 2 and Simeon. Help us, Lord, to worship the Son of God, to walk in the Spirit of God, and to wait on the promises of God. Thank you for coming to this old, cold, dark earth and dying for a sinner like me and like others in this room. We leave today better than when we came, and we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen.